Well, I'm excited uh, that you're with us today because we are wrapping up the series that we've been in for the past six weeks that we're calling, or we've been calling, Devoted and Led. And it's been a sermon series where we've been uh, looking at the book of Acts. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at the history of the church, how the church actually got started and, and what it looked like, how it began, and some of the challenges that went along with uh, the church getting started there in its early days. And what we've seen is that the church didn't start out the way a lot of people think about church today and a lot of, uh, the way that a lot of people envision uh, church and their experience of church. Church wasn't a place that you went to. It wasn't uh, designed as that. It wasn't God's plan that the church would just be a place that you went to or an event that you attended uh, or an, even an experience that you were a part of. But instead, it, the church was a group of dedicated followers of Jesus. It was actually uh, not even called the church back then. It was a movement. It was a movement of God that spread throughout the region. Uh, and God had given them the task to spread this good news of Jesus Christ all over the world. And so uh, that's what we have seen, how the church started out. Uh, and so the question has been for us as we've approached this each and every week is, uh, what is the church to you? Is the church simply a place that you attend? Is it uh, just an event that you uh, participate in or come to? Or is it a body uh, uh, is it for you that you are part of the body of Christ, a part of this movement that you're personally uh, a part of and you're devoted to and you're bought into it? Not just, not just the message of Jesus, but devoted to the body of Jesus as well. And then also being led by the Holy Spirit. And we've been talking about what that looks like. And so what I want to do this morning as we wrap up this series, I want to pick up right where we left off last week here in Acts uh, chapter 8. And I want to pick it up starting at verse 9. We looked at the first eight verses last week. And so I want to pick it up this morning starting at verse 9. It says, Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. And so what we have been seeing in this movement is we've been seeing... Uh, authentic, devoted people to this following of Jesus as the Savior of the world. We, we're seeing authentic and ordinary people that have been able to do great things with the help of the Holy Spirit. We saw where the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them, and they themselves were led by the Holy Spirit to spread this good news of Jesus throughout the land. But now Luke is uh, who wrote this, is introducing us to this fellow named Simon. And this isn't Simon Peter, the one that we're probably familiar with. We see here that this Simon, he was kind of a, a self-proclaimed great guy. 
If you didn't believe he was a great guy, just ask him. That's basically the point that we're getting here. And, and he was uh, someone who practiced sorcery, uh, magic type stuff. So, so what kind of magic was this? Well, it wasn't really, you know, card tricks and things like that. His magic or sorcery, as it's called here, scholars tell us, was probably a mixture of, you know, genuine uh, scientific knowledge. Uh, it would be knowledge of medicines and different plants that uh, could affect you. Uh, it was knowledge about astronomy and probably math as well. It would have also included superstitions and the use of charms and, and crystals. Uh, these people would have been known for, uh, people would have gone to them to uh, perhaps get dreams interpreted that they had had. And they also did things similar to magicians that we're familiar with, with trickery and, and the sleight of hand. In our culture today, this would be uh, similar to people who read and believe and rely on horoscopes or use uh, crystals or Ouija boards or fortune tellers or whatever. So did this guy have any actual real power? Well, uh, I believe so, because if you continue to read in the book of Acts, on over in Acts chapter 13, we'll see that Paul tells us about another magician, and he refers to the fact that he is filled with the devil, which implies to us that some of his magic that he did was empowered by demonic spirits or demonic means. And so, yes, there could uh, possibly be some sort of demonic power at work here, uh, but that's not really what this story is about, and so we don't want to get sidetracked with that. So let's continue on. I'm sorry I spent all that time telling you that because that's not what this is about. Let's continue on in verse 12. It says, but when they believed Philip, and i got to stop there just for a second, because those of you that were here last week, you know the story. Uh, we focused on the life uh, of Philip in the previous eight verses of this chapter. Uh, and if you weren't here last week, I just need to give you a brief summary so you understand the context of what this is talking about today. Philip was just an ordinary guy. We see this all throughout Scripture that guy, God will take someone who is just ordinary, who's not necessarily really gifted, and He will empower them with His Spirit, and they will do incredible and amazing things. He was just a layman in the church who had gone to Samaria and was simply telling people about Jesus. This Philip is not to be confused with the Philip who was the disciple of Jesus because we see earlier in this that the disciples and the apostles, they had stayed back in Jerusalem, and it was just lay people that had gone out uh, and were here in Samaria, and Philip was one of those. But still, this Philip, even though he may not have been an apostle and he wasn't a disciple, he had fully surrendered himself to this message of Jesus Christ. He was, he was all in. He was devoted to Jesus. He was devoted to this movement of Jesus. He had been filled with the Holy Spirit there uh, in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit had given him power to do some pretty amazing things. He was a powerful speaker, and he was doing good deeds that we learned about last week, just an ordinary guy that God was using to do extraordinary things. And that's a lesson for all of us, that God will use, wants to use all of us 
to do extraordinary things on his behalf. And that's what Philip was doing. And so when the people of Samaria heard Philip, they saw the things that Philip was doing. They believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Now catch this in verse 13. It says that Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles that he saw. So isn't that cool? This guy who had been probably demon-possessed, who had been this sorcerer and, you know, doing all this magic and stuff, had heard the things that Philip had been saying. He had saw the things that Philip had been doing and, and the teaching that he was doing. And what happens? Well, it says that he believed what Philip was saying. He believed uh, in the story of Jesus and who Jesus was, and he let Philip baptize him in the name of Jesus. Because even this sorcerer, even this magician knew that there was something here that was fundamentally different between what he had been doing and what he was seeing Philip do. He knew that there was something different, that Philip was being driven and led by this supernatural power that was at work in his heart and in his life. And the works and the good deeds that Philip was doing, it pointed people uh, to a message that was beyond the greatness of himself. You see, the message that Philip preached and the message that Philip shared, don't miss this, and the things that he did would not point people to look at him as somebody awesome, but it was all to point people towards Jesus Christ. They pointed to a crucified Savior who could forgive our sins and heal our souls. And this was and is easy to recognize. It just is. If what someone is doing is pointing you to their greatness, beware of that. Look out for red flags. When somebody is wanting you to pay attention to them, then be cautious of that. But if it points people, if what they're doing points people to Jesus and the good news of Jesus Christ, then pay close attention to that. And that's easy to see. It's easy to recognize. And Simon here recognized this power of the Holy Spirit that was at work in Philip's life. And so he believes and he is baptized. That's awesome, right? Maybe not. Now let's read on because maybe it's not. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So again, last week we saw all the apostles. They had stayed in Jerusalem, and it was the ordinary, just the lay people uh, that had gone out sharing the message, doing the good deeds in the name of Jesus in Samaria. And so the apostles get word about what's happening in Samaria. They hear that the, the message is being well received, but there's also persecution taking place. There's also uh, people that are against this and, and, and not for it and, and causing trouble. And so the apostles, they hear about what's going on there and, and that obviously the movement is sweeping across that community. And so they decided to send Philip and the other Christians, the other followers of Jesus that were there in Samaria, they decided to send them some help. And so they decided to send a couple leaders of the church, the apostles, the big guns, right? Peter and John is who they, they send. And verse 15 says, when they arrived, when Peter and John arrived, 
They prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit not, had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now this brings us to a question here because this is a little bit different than what we have been seeing and what we know about the Holy Spirit. This tells us here that they had accepted Christ They had become followers of Christ. They had been baptized, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. And we know that in every other reference in in God's Word, when people become a follower of Christ, surrender their life to Him, then they receive the Holy Spirit in that moment. But this didn't happen. And this is the only time that we see that uh, after the day of Pentecost took place where there, there is this delay in receiving the Holy Spirit internally in their heart and their lives. In all other cases, people believed, became a part of the body of Christ, and they received the Holy Spirit instantly. So that brings us to the question, why? Why was it different here? It may not bring you to the question, but it brought me to the question. And, and you know, I, I, I didn't know, but luckily we have Bible scholars who have forgotten more about the Bible than I will ever know in my life, and they're much more knowledgeable about these things. And scholars and most commentaries lean toward the fact that it was probably because there had been so much hostility uh, associated with this movement and toward this movement in that region that there would need to be something special to take place there to really get the people's attention. Much like the followers on, on the day of Pentecost. They all experienced it together, and the people that were around, there was no denying the fact that something powerful had taken place when the Holy Spirit fell upon the followers of Jesus Christ. So this would kind of be like Samaria's own day of Pentecost. And and I guess you could think of it like this. It's kind of like the ribbon cutting of opening a new church, I guess you could say. Uh, It would be a celebration and a validation of the movement of the church that's now happened outside Jerusalem into Samaria. And so the apostles, Peter and John, they go there basically to confirm the movement, to encourage those that are part of the movement, and to try to decrease some of the hostilities and to validate the movement. And the Holy Spirit came upon them at this point. Now let's pick it up at verse 18. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And so Simon offers Peter and John some money to be able to do what they were doing, right? Because in those days, it was common for these magicians and these sorcerers to pay one another to get them to teach them their tricks. Like, hey, I've got a 20 I'll give you if you'll teach me, you know, how to make that camel disappear, whatever, all right? And so this would have been common. Now let's continue on in verse 20. So Peter answered him, and he said, may your money perish with you. Because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Peter goes on to say in verse 22, Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that He may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. 
For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Welcome to the movement, Simon, (laughs) where everything is not always warm and fuzzy and all about you and to make you feel better about yourself. Sometimes you get your toes stepped on in order to get the point across. Peter's not really sugarcoating the message here, is he? He's he's speaking pretty straightforward to Simon at this time. He continues, and it it goes on to say there in verse 4, And then Simon answered, replied to Peter, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now, I believe that this story is included here in the book of Acts to give us a warning that always goes with something that that goes with the growth of the movement or the growth of the body of Christ or the growth of the church. Uh, I think that in this, that there is a warning uh, here for you as the congregation, as the members of the body, members of the church. And I believe there's also a warning in here for me as the pastor and as the leader of a church. So which warning do you want first, yours or mine? mine. Well, since I'm the one with the microphone, I'm going to give you yours first. How about that? (laughs) Thanks for asking, (laughs) Pat said. (laughs) Uh, Don't miss this. Simon the magician, there are warnings to you and I both, but I want you to see the warning to just the members, the followers, the body of Christ, and it's this. Not everyone who believes and is baptized is a real Christian. Okay? That's what we're seeing here. Not everyone who believes and not everyone who is baptized is a real follower of Jesus Christ and a devoted follower of Jesus that's devoted to Him and the body of Christ. Even with the best preaching and the best church evangelism methods, don't miss this, non-authentic decisions in Christ happen. They just do. In in verse 13, we see that Simon believed. We see that Simon was baptized. He even went on to hang around the church. says he followed Philip everywhere that he went. And, And listen, there have been a lot of people baptized in this church at this location over the last 115 plus years that we've been here. But some of them didn't actually become disciples. Some of them didn't actually become devoted followers of Jesus and devoted to the body of Christ. And they didn't allow the Spirit to lead them in their daily lives. Now, I believe that Simon genuinely believed what Philip was teaching. I believe that he uh, genuinely Uh, saw the things that Philip was doing and believed that there was a a greater power that was doing this in and through Philip. He recognized the power that Philip had came from something supernatural. Have no doubt about that whatsoever. I think that he truly believed that Jesus was who they said that he was. But here's the problem, and it's the problem with many people who are like Simon. He seems to have believed in Jesus, but he was only believing in the magic of Jesus, if you will. 
and he believed in the agenda of the church. He believed in their ideas. He thought it was a good thing. He thought it was probably good for him and good for the people of the community. And he was all about what they were about and the things that they were about. But he was like a lot of people today who have some sort of emotional experience or moral dilemma to where they believe in Christ because it sounds good to them. And they, and they may have even gotten emotional at some point in time knowing that Jesus was the Son of God and died on the cross for their sins. And, and they may have had an emotional experience like that. And they may very well have said something like, you know what, I like what Jesus is about and I would like for Jesus to be an influence in my life. But then under their breath, they would say, but I reserve the right to pick which parts I agree with and which ones I don't. I reserve the right to be able to live my life however I choose to live it because there's some of this that I can't really believe and some of it that I think is just a little overboard and some of it is a little bit too conservative for me and some of this stuff I just don't want to do, okay? And I heard a preacher one time say it like this. He said, if you're 99% committed to Jesus, then you're not really fully committed to Jesus, are you? If you're only 99% committed to Jesus, then you are still in control of your life, not Jesus. Don't miss this. You're either fully committed or you're not fully committed. You either have given Jesus full control of your life or you haven't given him full control of your life. Friends, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus, this movement that we call the church today demands total devotion. It demands everything. And Simon, well, he, he's a guy who wants Jesus in his life, but he doesn't want to give up full control to Jesus. And so Simon serves as a warning to you, but Simon, like I said, also serves as a warning to me. In Simon, we see a man who wants the spotlight to be on him. He wants to be the one who is known. He wants to be the one who is recognized. And he's envious when the spotlight is not on him. And he wants it to be on him. And sadly today, there are pastors who want to share the spotlight with Jesus. They think that it's all about being in the spotlight and being the best or being the most famous or being the most liked or, or, or getting the most followers or whatever it may be. And, and I've shared this with you before, but I have to be real, real careful that it's thy kingdom come and not my kingdom come. And sometimes that's difficult for leaders in the church. And so now you know how you can pray for me. Because I, with all my heart, want it to always to be about Jesus. 
and what he can do for you. There, there, there's, there's something else we see in Simon. We also see a man who thinks he can somehow buy Jesus or buy the power or buy uh, acceptance or buy admission with, with his money. He, he thinks that the power of God can come from his ability to be able to somehow earn it or pay for it. And you know what? If that was the case, then that would somehow put the spotlight back on him, wouldn't it? But what does the gospel teach us? Well, uh, Katie read it for us earlier, and I appreciate Katie uh, reading our, our scripture for us during worship today. But there in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that she read for us earlier, it teaches us that it is only by grace that we are saved. Right? It's not of ourselves. It's not of anything that we can do or anything that we can buy. It's not of how good we can be or even what church we go to or what membership role that we're on. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Why? Paul says, so that no man can boast. So that no man can stand in the spotlight and make it about him. Because it's a free gift of God. A free gift from God. It's not of us. It's not of me. It's not of yourselves. It can't be purchased. It can't be earned. And it can't be bought. It is a gift of grace from Almighty God so that none of us can boast about it. Friends, if I really believe in the gospel... I wouldn't want your attention directed to me because there's nothing in me that can help you. The only thing that I have that can help you is the good news of Jesus Christ and how He can help you and what He can do for you, you and your life and your family. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see the Savior. I, I love the quote, and I, I believe I've shared it before, but it says, I am simply one beggar standing in front of other beggars telling you where to find bread. <laughs> uh, and, and so in contrast to Simon the magician, we have here in this passage Simon Peter, who knows that his salvation and the, any power that he may have is, is, is a gift of grace. It's a gift from God. And if you know the, the story of Peter, you know it wasn't always that way, that he learned this the hard way, Right? And that's how we learn a lot of things in life, amen, the hard way. And that's how Peter learned. How many times did he boast about his strength and what he could do, right? He even said one time, even if everybody else denies you, Jesus, and walks away, I never will. You can count on me. I'm your man. I'm the strong one, right? And yet we saw that he denied him three different times. And wasn't Peter the one, one of the ones who got in an argument over who was going to sit uh, next to Jesus in uh, the kingdom? Right? And so Peter had to learn these things. And he has been to the cross. And he has been to the empty tomb. And he has experienced grace. And, and notice that the result of the experience of grace, the result of experiencing the power of God in his life is that money now is powerless over him. Matter of fact, it's almost an insult to him. He, he's not like when Simon offers him money, right? He's not like, well, Simon, how much money are we talking about here? How, how much are you willing to give? We sure could use some money in the building campaign, right? In the building fund. I, I might could show you a few tricks if you'd make a sizable donation to the church. 
Right? No, he didn't do that. Listen, I, I believe that when a person really experiences the power of grace in their life, money loses its power over them. That'd been a good place for an amen. When someone has truly experienced grace, money loses its power over you. If you want a power that can't be bought with money, then money has to be powerless over you. Today, don't miss this warning from the story of Simon. He professes Christ. He is baptized, but it is not real. And look at what that buys him. There in verse 23, Peter rebukes him uh, there, and he said, I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Don't miss this. There is joy in being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. There is joy in being a part of the body of Christ. There, there is joy in being a part of this movement that is taking him into the world. A true and genuine relationship, not just some name-only relationship where I call myself a Christian because that's what people expect of me. I don't want mama to be on my back. I don't want grandma to be on my back. I want people to think this about me, so I call myself a Christian. And if that's the kind of relationship that you have with Jesus, that's no relationship at all. It's no relationship at all. Counterfeit Christianity always leads to bitterness and disappointment. And Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7 that we heard during our worship. Starting at verse 15, it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will know them. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. When I was working with teens all the time, I used to tell them this all the time. You can call yourself an apple all day long, but if you're hanging on an orange tree, people know you ain't an apple. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you call yourself. You will be known by the fruit that you bear. Goes on, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, again, he says, you will know them. You will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Counterfeit Christianity leads not only to bitterness and disappointment, but it also leads to eternal separation from God because that person is really not a child of God or a part of the body of Christ that we've been talking about 
all throughout this series. Being a part of the movement leads to joy. It leads to real life. Even as we give our life to Him, that's where new life begins. That's where real life begins. Man, I can't help but but think about this. As I was preparing for this, at the same time I was preparing for a funeral of, of precious Dory. I just love those roses that are there in her spot this morning. They're as beautiful as she was. She had every reason in this world to be bitter, to be down, to be depressed. But when you saw her face, you saw the glow of her Savior on her face. She didn't have a bad day because she had experienced real life. She was fully committed and surrendered to her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She had given her life to Him. And she found joy and peace and comfort. She shared that with a lot of us here. Jesus said, He who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who gives up his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find life. So let me ask you this morning, as we wrap up this series, we wrap up this message today, are you devoted to Christ and the body of Christ? Are you devoted to Him? And are you devoted to the body? Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 5 something very important. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And I believe that We've seen here today that just because you believe the message, just because you believe the story, just because you believe that there was a Jesus, just because you've been baptized, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're part of the body. You're either all in or you're not in at all. You're either devoted to Christ and the body of Christ or you're not. It truly is that simple. My prayer as I began this series was that you would be. That you would be devoted. And not only uh, devoted, but also that you would be led and you would be empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life every single day. And you know what? As we come to the conclusion of this series, I don't know if you're any more devoted now than you were when we began. I don't know if your life is being led by the Holy Spirit or not. But you know what? My prayer has also been, if not them, at least me. Let this begin in me. Let this be my story. Let this be my witness. That Jesus saves. He restores. And He blesses beyond our wildest dreams when we surrender our plan and our lives completely over to Him. Let me pray with us. God, I thank You today so much for Your Son, Jesus. 
I thank you for the love that you've shown us through him and the sacrifice that was made for every single one of us. You sent your son to die on the cross for my sin. You sent your son to die on the cross for all of our sin. But God, I think you want us to, to make it personal today and understand that it was, it was for me. You gave your life so that I could have life. There's really not but one response to that that's adequate. And that's for us to give our life to you. Because it's only through you that we have life. And God, I'm, today I'm, I'm just trusting your Holy Spirit in this place. I'm trusting you to do the work that you want to do, that you intended to do before we even walked in the door today. I'm trusting your spirit to speak to hearts about being fully devoted to you and fully devoted to your body. God, I thank you for what you're doing here today, but again, I want to thank you for what you're going to do as we leave here being the church. As we leave here is this movement of God empowered and helped by the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, we represent you. God, I pray that you would find us faithful and you would find us obedient. God, I pray that you'd give us fruit for our labors. But God, most of all, I pray that you'd be glorified. You would be exalted so that people would see you. For who you are. And that's the savior of the world. God I pray for those in our church. That are hurting today. Those that are battling sickness. Illness. Cancer. Those that are grieving. The loss of a loved one. Those that are dealing with. Conflict. Either in their home. Or in their life God. I, I just pray that you would bring healing and restoration. Now go with us now. And I pray that as people look upon my face and look in my eyes, that like Dory, they would see you. They would see your reflection in my eyes, in my words, my reactions, and the way that I live. And I'll be careful to give you the praise that you deserve. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. I love y'all. God bless you.